This is Real Love Now, a ministry outreach of Pastor Don Allen in the Church at War Hill. As with every aspect of our ministry, the purpose of this broadcast is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ to help you get real with God, fall in love with Him and His children, and discover your destiny now. Here's the message from Pastor Don Allen. Let's go to Daniel chapter 10. And I want to read to you, beginning in verse number two, uh, uh, from, uh, I love when what I'm studying personally interacts with what ha- is happening in our church, and I'm like, okay, well, you know you're always going to end up with at least one or two more sermons in the series when my personal reading, because I read the Bible cover to cover every year, and when they cross like this. And so, but Daniel chapter 10, verse number two begins like this, okay? When this vision came to me, I, Daniel, had been in mourning for three whole weeks. Hmm. Let me just translate this for you. When this happened, I was shaken. I was dealing with anxious feelings, fear, struggles. He's 85 years old at this point, and he's saying, I still don't know how to process everything that's coming into me. Everything that's the, the, all the information, all the, the, the moment. I don't know how to process all this. Now you might have everything in your life figured out, but I think I'm talking to somebody here today that doesn't quite know how to process everything. And listen to me. He says, I don't know how to deal with a world that's changing all around me. And so for three weeks, it's like I just shut down. I went into mourning. It doesn't say, I've been seeking the face of God. He said, look, I, I, I've been mourning. I am anxious. I am hurting over what's happening around me. And if we're really going to be an effective church, you're going to have to learn something. You know, when, when we were growing up, we were at the tail end of an era that, that, you know, now people are, 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 are celebrating, you know, the, the, their, their, their pregnancies. They're celebrating the, the gender reveals. They're celebrating these things. But an era just before my generation didn't speak of that kind of stuff publicly. You didn't talk about it publicly. And now we're all, you know, everybody's showing pictures and, 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 you know, trying to come up with the next great gender reveal. And I love the bloopers on those. <laughs> because things change. And I'm speaking to you from my heart. I feel this in my heart. A few generations ago, people sent their Children who were dealing with anxiety and stress and problems and all, they sent them away to be institutionalized. Then in the early 80s, the institutions were shut down and people then had to figure out how to deal with it. But nobody told anybody, nobody talked about the fact that, 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 that people deal with mental illness. And then we now have reached an hour that a generation is desperate for people to hear them say, I'm struggling and I don't know how to, pro- I've been mourning because I don't know how to process the whole world that's going on around me. And there's a rampant, rampant suicide rate that's, that's crashing now, not only through adults, but all the way down to children. Rampant. Because they don't know how to process this struggles that have them locked down. 
And I may not be the pastor that, that, that talks about all the cool graphs and all the eschatology that makes everybody buy all the books, but I want to be the guy who, when I'm done, can say, I've done my best to address the need of the hour with a gospel that doesn't change. And the need of this hour is that Daniel even say, look, I'm 85 years old and I don't have it together yet and I'm still overwhelmed and I don't know what to do and I don't know how to handle this. And he said, you know what? I couldn't even eat much rich food and there was no meat or wine crossed my lips. And he, he said, now I've got to translate this for you. He said, I used no fragrant lotions. It means I wasn't even bathing. Like some of you during the quarantine time. Until three weeks had passed. He said, I'm not eating right. I'm not even bathing. I'm not, I, I, I don't even know if it's, I don't know how to process this. He said, but I'm calling on God. That's all I know how to do. Can I tell you? That's what's missing from the equation. We realize that a generation is dealing with mental illness. We realize that a generation is dealing with overwhelming anxiety. And the one thing is this. They know what really causes it right here, but they feel like this has so much benefit to them that they're going to keep going back, even though it's what's feeding their anxiety. And what we have to say is, look, the pressure is still as real as it's always been. But what needs to happen is we need God to walk right in the middle of it. How do we deal with that? Watch this. It was on April 23rd. As I was standing on the bank of the great Tigris River, I looked up and I saw a man dressed in linen clothing with a belt of pure gold around his waist. Now, hold on. He says, it's important to notice, it was April 23rd. And he says this. He said, I saw a man who's dressed in white, belted in gold, his body. Oh, I just, I love reading this. His body looked like a precious gem. His face like lightning. Now, who's, if you've read Revelation, who am I talking about here? And his eyes flamed like fiery torches. Now, watch this. And his arms and feet shone like polished bronze, and his voice roared like a vast multitude of people. Another way to say that, it was the sound of many waters. He said, I'm upset. My natural had me anxious. My natural left me feeling inadequate. My natural left me without the ability to do what I needed to do. My natural had me down. But watch what I'm about to tell you. Watch this very carefully. He said, but then I caught a glimpse of glory. You see... What I want to talk to you about today is what happens when our natural is invaded by God's super. What changes when our natural is invaded with God's super? This is so important. I didn't tell you the one thing I've noticed. When God speaks to me like that and I hear something from heaven or, or I see somebody get healed, there is always a sense of wonder when God enters our circumstances. When God shows up, a lady from our first service said to me this morning, she said, Pastor, it's amazing when God shows up and the supernatural occurs. And she said, I just have to ask myself, how long will that sustain me before my natural pulls me back down? To the naturals constantly wanting to pull you back into a black hole of despair. Am I, am I making sense to anybody today? 
The natural is constantly wanting to pull you backwards. But this is so important. There's going to be moments in your life when your natural means the supernatural, and you're, 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 you're going to be talking about it for years to come, and I'm just going to take a moment today, and I'm not going to preach this whole sermon, but I'm going to take a moment today and just tell you a moment from my life where I didn't know what was happening in the natural, but it, something super began to happen, and before long, something supernatural had occurred. I'll never forget, I had flown into India. As I arrived in India, they said, we didn't tell you, but a major plague, pandemic, has hit India. So they took me, while hundreds of thousands of people are dying, and put me in the ministry's sealed-off apartment for days and days. They would only let me out. They, they huddled, they sheltered me in place and social distanced me, okay? Now watch this. They would only let me out long enough to preach, and then back in the apartment. They didn't want me to die. Kind of appreciated that. But out, preach, back. Out, preach, back. The problem was I only brought two books. <laughs> and I don't know, but Jordan had used my, she was a little tiny girl at that time, she had used my, my suitcase and she had left her movie in there and you can only watch Black Beauty so many times. I mean, you don't know if the horse is going to live or not. And I'm watching this thing till I'm sick of watching it. I'm bouncing off the walls. I have, I have prayed until I feel like I can't pray anymore. I come out, preach, I go back, pray. I read, 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 watch Black Beauty, and cry about it, and go, back, and go to sleep. <laughs> oh, don't kill her. You know what I'm saying? It's truth. One day they said, we're going to get you out, Pastor. We have devised a plan to get you out. So they had set up a, like a private time with a tailor, and 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 you you can get a really nice suit made for a hundred something dollars there. And, and so they said we're taking you to the to the tailor. And so I, I said okay. And so I'm excited. I'm going out and I'm going to see a little bit more than this apartment. And, and I'm just in this this environment. And so it's really fun. And as we're driving back, I don't know what happened, but as we're driving back, all of a sudden I am overwhelmed with this anxiety, this grief, this conviction. I mean, it's just overwhelming me. I mean, I, I'm almost, I, I went out of the car. I, I, just, I just need somewhere to be alone. I, I'm, and I'm overwhelmed. And so we get back to the place, and, and they had other things arranged, and I just march right up straight to my apartment, close the door, and shelter myself in place. And I'm thinking there's not any reason I want to get in that, back in that room except I've got to figure out what I've done. What did I do? What did I say? Did I say something not true? Did I look at something I shouldn't have seen? Have I, have I allowed some sin into my heart that I, I started repenting for everything I'd ever done twice? Then I repented for things that I'd never done. I repented for stuff you did. Come on now. I was repenting on every side. You think I'm kidding? I'm, I'm, I'm reminded of a friend of mine, uh, his name's Joel. He, he, his dad's a pastor and he said it was his first time to get to testify in church. He was six years old and, and, and he just knew what he'd heard in church. And so his, his dad's like, you want to say something for Jesus? He said, yes, I do. He said, I just want to testify that God set me free. I've been an alcoholic my whole life. Come on now. Amen. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I was making up stuff to repent for. You think I'm exaggerating? I'm, I'm repenting for, I've repented for, I don't know how long. It's important. I want you to hear what I'm about to say because this is not in my notes, so I want you to get what I'm about to say. 
If you feel like you have no room to repent, then you will never have a revelation of God. And so I started repenting. And the conviction stayed and the anxiety stayed and the problem stayed. And I, I, I was overwhelmed. So I started praying for Christina. Anxiety is still there. Pray for Bethany and Zach and Jordan. Anxiety is still there. And I'm crying out to God. And as I'm crying out to God, I, I, I start praying for, for the church. And I, and I pray for the ministries. I pray for my mom. I mean, for my dad. And, and the anxiety is still there. And the moment I said my mom's name, the moment I said, Lord, I, I began to pray for my mom, instantly, instantly, like heaven went. And the air changed in the room. And I said, okay, we're on something now. I began to intercede for my mother. You see, my world was anxious in the natural. But it was driving me to a place of repentance to get me ready for a supernatural occurrence. I'm on my knees praying for my mother. Suddenly a knock comes to the door. I, I'm, I feel intruded upon because I'm feeling so much of heaven. A knock is at the door. I open the door. There's a man there. He doesn't speak English. All he can say is our, our, our executive pastor's name, who's Gwen. And, and all he can say is Gwen over and over again and this. Gwen, 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 Gwen. I'm like, okay, I think Gwen's on the phone. You know what I'm saying? And so I follow him down and I go to grab hold of the phone. And, and as I grab hold of the phone, I say, uh, I'm thinking it's the middle of the night there. Why is Gwen calling me in the middle of the night? And so I, I, I said, hello. And she said, pastor, look, just go ahead and, and sit down. I said, what's going on? And I hate when somebody says, sit down. <laughs> and she said, look, your mom, they don't think she's going to survive the night. I said, excuse me? He said, she's in extreme critical condition. She's had a medical procedure where they have uh, perforated her internal organs and they don't think she's going to survive the night. Imagine how anxious I am now. But I go march right back up to that room and I get right back in that same spot because I realized something, that before the call came, the call came. Before I could figure out how to get a flight home, the call came. And I had been on my knees, and this is the testimony that would come from that hour. The doctor was not a Christian, a lost man, without the voice of God speaking into his life. He had done the procedure as he was walking from the room. He said that as he reached for his hands, that it only happened this one time in his whole medical career, as he reached for the door, as he reached for the knob of the door, he said, I heard a voice as clear as I've ever heard a voice speak to me and said, go back and take one more look. He said, he said, I thought, no, no, it's all fine. I've done this great. He said, go back and take one more look. So he turned around and went back to the table and realized that she was hemorrhaging to death internally and that she would not have lasted but mere moments if he had not began the life-saving uh, uh, treatment at that moment. And as he began that life-saving treatment at that moment, I, he had no clue that the exact moment that he heard a voice say, go back and look, was the exact same moment that I was on my knees 29 hours away, other side of the globe calling on the name of Jesus Christ for my mother. Can I tell you, when God walks into your natural with his super, it will help alleviate 
all of that. But what do you do with this now? You realize God just saved your mom's life, but you're 29 hours away. You're 29 hours away. So I'm like, I mean, because, you know, the way I deal with things, and please don't say it loud, amen, is when something's wrong, I fix it. Get out of my way. We will fix it. Don't tell me it cannot be done. We will make it to the moon. Come on now. And that's what my nature is. And I realized that God had to get me out of the way so he could step in the way. And so I'm pacing. I'm literally pacing to show you how anxious I still am, even though God has walked into the situation, and I'm getting you where I need you to be today. I want you to listen to me very carefully to show you how anxious I am, even in the situation. Now watch this. I go into the little restroom attached to the apartment, put the lid down, and just kind of flop down on, on the seat there. Too much information I get. But that's how irrational I am with anxiety because I need to be with my mom. I may never get to tell her bye again. And then God walked into the room again. And I realized that the God who had connected me around the globe was the God who was going to keep her until I was home. What does that even matter? Why did I need to stay? Can I tell you why I needed to stay? Because about a day later, they took me out of uh, that apartment and they put me on a little plane and they flew me from Hyderabad to Vijayawada. And Vijayawada is along the coast. And in Vijayawada, there were thousands of pastors who had gathered. Many of them had walked for a week or more to hear someone tell them, it's okay, keep going, though they're trying to kill you. I'm sitting there and I'm watching these pastors and I'm, 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 my mind's at home, my, my heart's there, and I, but I know God has me there for a reason. And so I just tell them the thing that I'm going to tell all pastors, I'm going to tell every church. I go into them and they're like, Pastor, how's God done such an amazing thing with the gospel being preached around the world through your church? And I say, that's the key, the gospel. Stop preaching a church and start preaching Jesus. And so I taught them about the gospel and I taught them how to present the gospel in the most creative ways. And what I did not know was in that, in that thousands of people, there's a pastor to be, a want to be, a call to be pastor who's wanting God to use him. And he comes and he's like, God, do you want me to do something for you? And he's anxious. But all of a sudden, I speak a word that he needs to hear. And inside of him births a heart to go plant a church in a region. There is no gospel presentation. So he leaves that conference goes to that rural area, and when he gets there, man, I tell you, the, the pagan uh, culture there is just so excited to hear somebody preach about Jesus. I mean, they were constantly trying to, to greet him with flames and, and bats, and I mean, they were so excited. I mean, they were trying to kill him. He's frustrated. Nobody will listen to him present the gospel, but he heard some crazy preacher from America say the gospel can change a community. He said, I tried and tried. They would follow up with me later on this story. He said, I tried and I tried and nobody would listen to me. Nobody would hear my message. He said, so finally I gave up and I said, well, the only way that I'm going to get anybody to listen to me is I know the town drunk can't walk right now. So I would find him when he was drunk and tell him about Jesus. He said, before long, when his children would come to help him crawl back to the house, they would sit around and let, listen to me tell them about Jesus. As I told the town drunk who rejected the gospel, he said, but listen to what happened, pastor. Listen to what happened. 
Now, can I tell you, God in the natural found a man who was overwhelmed with some anxious feeling and said, look, I'm here. Just obey me. Just be the man I've called you to be in this hour who will go preach the gospel, who will find another man who says, I'll be the man that God wants me to be in this hour. And so he goes to this town and tells them about Jesus and nobody listens until one day. You see, in this village, they have one threshing floor. And upon this threshing floor, everyone gets a certain amount of time. And the town drunk apparently was a little too drunk when it was time for his time for his harvest to be threshed. So he took, so not to lose his spot, filled his harvest into the threshing floor and went away to try to, I guess, to to take the edge off. But he put his eight-year-old daughter on top of the wheat. What happens to a child on a sunny day in a field? They fall asleep. His eight-year-old daughter fell asleep in the middle of that wheat field, or a threshing floor. Another man comes up and realizes that the other man, who they're all used to not carrying his load, is not going to get done in time. So he tells his workers, he says, go ahead and run our tractor through their wheat and let's get it done for them so we can get our time. They run over her twice with the cutting instruments before they realize she's asleep in the wheat. She's cut to shred. Blood is seeping through the threshing floor. They take off running from all over the town to see the travesty, to try to, 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 to give uh, support to the family. The whole com- little community gathers together. People are wailing. People are crying out. And, and this little girl's laying dead with her blood seeping through the threshing floor. And, and there, she's laying dead there. And then all of a sudden, the preacher hears and he goes running. And he did not know they would soon be looking for him because as he came running upon the scene, he heard their wails turn from wails into a gasp. Because suddenly, there was no wail. They all, <gasps> because she stood up from the blood. They had seen her cut to shreds, and now she stood before them covered in blood, but completely 100% whole, completely well. And as she stood there, this were her words. She said as she pointed to that little preacher man as he came running up, she pointed at him. Let me just tell you something. I don't care how bad your world looks. You need to keep being who Jesus has called you to be. You need to keep telling, and you need to talk to the drunk if necessary. You tell everybody that Jesus is Lord. She pointed at him and she said, I'm going to tell you. She said, the man that that man told me about named Jesus came walking to me while I was laying here. And he looked at me and said, I'm going to heal you and I'm going to raise you up. And you're going to tell them all that Jesus is the son of God. Amen. Now watch what happened. Somebody here helped me get there. God sustained me in the middle of my my crisis, in the middle of my hour. He took care of my world. Can I just tell somebody, if you stop being so anxious about your hour and start trusting in a God who holds today, tomorrow, and forever, then you can realize that what the devil's trying to do is destroy a great voice that God has raised up for this generation. And instead of backing down, stand stand your ground. You might be like Daniel and you may not know what to do, but can I tell you what you're going to see? Daniel chapter 10, verse number 7 says, 
says this, and I, Daniel, saw the vision. The men with me saw nothing, but they were suddenly terrified and ran away to hide. In an hour that anxiousness is telling everybody, give up, go hide in a hole, kill yourself, end your life. I'm looking for a people who will stand up and say, I'm anxious alongside of you, but instead of walking in fear, I have got a hold of Jesus and his super has walked into my natural and I'm not hiding with you. I will see the Lord and I will see him face to face someday. Amen. Now I'm going to close quickly, but I want you to listen to me carefully. You will never see what others can't until you give up what others won't. Daniel said, I was anxious. I was overwhelmed. He said, the only thing I knew how to do was to stop eating the things that brought me comfort. Stop soothing my body the ways that brought me comfort. Listen to me. This is important. You're going, Pastor Don, are you telling us to stop eating? What? No, 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 no. I'm not, telling, I'm not calling a fast today. Relax. What I'm trying to tell you is, stop bringing whatever it is that numbs your anxiety into your life. And start letting God heal your life. Because you have a purpose. And he's wanting to walk into it. But how, Pastor Don, how? Can I just tell you what verse uh, uh, number 11 says of this? Let me, let me just share this with you. This is what verse number 11 says. Actually, go to 12. Go to verse 12 first. Go to verse 12. It says, Daniel, don't be afraid. Don't be anxious, Daniel. What's this? Since the first day you set your mind to gain understanding and to what? The first day you said, I don't understand everything. I just want to learn. Until you're willing to learn, you'll never go anywhere forward. Here's the key word that he said. And you humbled yourself. What did I tell you earlier? As long as there's no repentance in your life, you'll never become who you're supposed to be. You'll never see God without repentance. You'll never see Him. Humble yourself. What did I tell you I did when I got back to my apartment? What did I do? I repented of my sins. Now I know this is the sinless part of this church, right? I think we all have some repenting to do. God forgive us for where we fail. Because this world desperately needs Jesus in an anxious hour. And I can be the one who sees Jesus or I can be the one running and hiding. That's simple. Now the beauty of this is, before he said, here's why your answer came, he, uh, he did something God always wants you to get. Why did God take care of my mother? I don't know. But I know he loves her. Why is God taking care of me? I don't know. But I know he loves me. What does that have to do with anything? There's confidence in the Father's love. Watch this. No, don't watch this. You listen to what the Holy Spirit has dropped into my heart. Some of you, what would heal you 
as if there was confidence in the Father's love. God's speaking to somebody. Your earthly father may not have instilled the right confidence in you. They may have been critical or attacking or they may have abandoned you and walked away. They, they might have had their own mental illnesses that dealt them to such a hand that they didn't know how to be what you needed them to be. You listened. I'm speaking to somebody today by the Holy Spirit of God and you'll never find the confidence that you need because of the confidence they didn't instill. But there's a father who found you and he, he he's like, look, you are not of my flesh because there is one begotten of the Lord. But then there's a phrase, I love it in Spanish, that uh, it's to arrest the hijo de mi corazón that you are the child, the son or daughter of my heart here's the way he said it, here's the way he said it he said it in verse number 11 he said it this way, he said Daniel, Daniel don't you get it, you're precious you're precious to me the word there in Hebrew if you're a male is ish, man or female you say isha uh, a male or female, uh, 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 there, ish, man, uh, uh, that's the word for Adam, but ish, and, and isha, uh, and then, and, and then, and humadat, humadat, you have to say with a little bit of a guttural sound that ish, humadat. But he says, you are precious. You are a person who is precious, but also holds precious. You listen to what I'm about to tell you. I just want you to listen to me just a moment. I just feel this in my heart. This is important. I want you I want to take a different posture to say this to you. You know, I always use that statement. I always say, you know, I'm supposed to be sixth generation drunk Native American. And look what God did. Here's what, here's what I don't tell you. You know, I remember, that's one reason why I personally deal with this so, so, so poorly. I remember going home every Sunday, phone would ring from church. God's presence would have showed up. And I would hear my drunken uncles, drunken grandfather, cursing the moment I answered the phone. I'd, hear, I'd watch my mom break in tears as they said horrible things to her. As a man, I would have ripped the phone out of the wall. As a boy, I just cried. I watched my mom deal with struggles from that. Probably the greatest struggles were the, the abuses that went on in that home sent one, two of her sisters running. One jumped in a car and ran to town as fast as she could go to get away from the abuse. Went around a curve too fast and was killed instantly. The other had her life taken by a man she escaped with. So I grew up with this mother who, who got to go home from church and fight hell about anxiousness and then in the dark hours the enemy would tell her her sisters were in hell her sisters were in hell but I remember as a young boy 
I remember watching my mother get along with Jesus in an altar and humble herself and let go of all the bitterness and rage that she justifiably carried toward these people. And I watched God heal her. God change her life. I watched her confidence grow. Not into a man, but into a heavenly father. So much it grew that before those abusive figures died, they found Jesus through her testimony. I don't know who I'm talking to today. I feel it with all that's in me. You are precious. You are God's chosen child. He loves you just the way you are. You don't have to be strong. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have a perfect past. You might be trying to outrun six, seven generations yourself of problems. All you have to do is realize you're precious to Him. And when you embrace the fact that He loves you, then you will embrace the fact that you can live in such a way that through that love, all of this stress, all of this that sends others hiding will not knock you down. And you will walk on. You will be free. I want you to bow your heads in this place. See some of our team, they're worried because I haven't been feeling well and I'm sitting down and I'm fine. I literally felt that I can. God was leading my heart to change my posture because I couldn't preach this to you. I had to share this with you. I think that's the posture Jesus might have taken at this moment. Not over you, but inviting you. If you're living with a world of pain and a world of struggles, you're wanting to go hide and give up, God's wanting to heal you today. I don't want anybody looking around and I do not want the cameras on this crowd. And if you are watching and I'm, what I'm about to say to you, speaking to you, then you need to, you need to send the, our campus pastor a private message there. You, you just, if you send it to office at Oriel.com, they're going to type that for you. No one else is going to see that. We want to know how to pray for you. But I, I, I don't want anybody looking around. I want every head bow. I want to bow. So this quickly, if you've been thinking, anxiousness has had you thinking, it'd be easier to die. And the devil's tried to tell you it'd be easier to give up and die. God's going to heal you today. I want to see your hand where you are. You want to say, Pastor, I'm going to confess that. And I'm going to receive God's healing today. Thank you. See that hand? Thank you. Thank you. 
and thank you, thank you. It's at least five people, six people in this room, seven people in this room. God's going to heal you. God's going to heal you. You're going to find confidence. I don't care who did what, what, who said what. There's a father who says you're precious. 20 days, 20 days during the middle of the holidays when everybody else was feasting, he was anxious and couldn't even eat. During Passover, he couldn't eat. During the seven days after Passover, he couldn't eat. He was so upset, it ruined his whole life, it felt like. God showed up on the 21st day. This is your 21st day. This is it. Pastor Don, this service needs to know it. It'll be done when it's done. Is there somebody else? I feel like there's at least two more in this room that you need God to heal you. People are literally breaking all over this room. God's healing you right now. I feel the Holy Spirit. He's healing you in this place. Thank you. That's eight. Well, there's at least one more. At least one more. That's not, are you waiting for me? Yes, I guess I am. to raise your hand or come to this altar you can feel free God's healing people in this place but I'm going to deal with you right where you are but I want to pray with one other group some of you have never felt worthy to be his child you think you're too flawed and too broken here's the simple truth of the gospel that sent that man preaching that Jesus is the son of God and he is alive and he's still raising people up out of the bloody mess that they've created in their life. He's the one who set you free today. If that's you, and you say today's the day you want to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, today is the day. I want to see your hand right where you are. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you. I'm not going to ask you to stand right now. But I want to see where you are. Today's your day. This is your moment. This is your time. Today's the day I want to be born again. I want to surrender my life to Christ. I'm waiting for just a moment more. Now look, I know we can't, uh, we can't join hands, but if you're with a family member right next to you, I want you to put your hand on their back at least. If you would, don't, don't, don't bother someone that's not in the same house with you. God's healing people. You don't know how much God's healing people right now. God's setting people free. Watching it happening around this room right this morning. I believe it's happening right where you are. We're going to discover God's will for our lives. He's going to heal. He's doing it already. Father, I take the position of the, the pastor of this house, but Lord, just one priest among many in this house. Before we are all kings and priests redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And I declare the blessing of life over these children. That the anxiety that weighs upon them, Lord, I thank you literally right now, Lord, as heaven opened over me, that heaven begins to open over them. That they can't fix it, Lord. They can't fix their 29 hours away, as it were. They, they can't fix this problem on their own, God. But you can. 
You're a healer. You're a healer. You're the one who sets free. You're the one who delivers. You're a healer. Now, in the name of Jesus Christ. But only you can, my goodness, I feel the Holy Ghost, the living God. I've come to tell somebody today. You too shall stand up from the from what seems to be tragedy and declare that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Because you will be a living testimony. Because you live. And he's taught you how to live as his precious child. Be healed in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Jesus. That's doing something special in this house. That's today's word from Pastor Don Allen to help you get real with God, fall in love with Him all over again, and live out your destiny now. To learn more about our pastor and the ministry of the church at War Hill, join us online at warhill.com. Then join us in worship at one of our North Georgia locations. Service times are Sundays at 8.15, 9.30, and 11 a.m., where you will find Real Love Now.